Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast. We're a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. Hey, this week we are closing out a seven-week series called The Parables of Jesus, and today we're hearing from our family pastor, Andrew Friesen, as he shares with us the parable of the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins. This is an important, important message that Jesus wanted to communicate using this parable. I hope that you find it helpful and inspiring and it helps you to grow in your faith today. Well, good morning. So great to have you here. And thanks so many of you that are joining online. Happy spring. You guys made it through winter. One way or another, you made it through. (laughs) Yeah, a few few claps around here. It's like, oh. Bring on the warm weather, bring on the sunshine. I think we're all kind of feeling that. Uh, Today, I'm excited to be with you. Uh, Like Nate said, I'm the family pastor here at Pathway, and uh, today we're closing out our series on the parables of Jesus. And Jesus is that that master storyteller that uh, that just was so captivating in the way that that he shared. And the the stories that he told uh, just showed us the, the way that, that he thought about the world, the way that he thought about life. And uh, hasn't it been so, so rich? Over the last uh, six weeks now, seven weeks, we've been going through the parables of Jesus. Uh, you know, the parable of, of the, the seeds and the weeds and the, and the, the dishonest manager. That was interesting. Uh, and last week, all about prayer. And today, we come to the parable of the ten bridesmaids. It's for Matthew 25, and uh, it's often referred to as the parable of the ten virgins, and I'll explain uh, more about that in a little bit. It's a little bit of an obscure uh, story, so but we're going to dive in. We're going to explore how it all works. You might be more familiar with some of the stories that come afterwards, uh, the parable of the talents, and uh, the story about the sheep and the goats. But uh, before I get into that, I just want to ask you a quick little question. Uh, when was the last time you really needed to be prepared? When was the last time you need to be prepared? Maybe, maybe there's a, a big test you're in school. Maybe there's a job interview. You're switching jobs in the middle of COVID here. When was the last time you needed to be prepared? Just think about that for a second. Uh, I know that it's for sure within the last year. Because a year ago, like we've been talking about, kind of celebrating one-year anniversaries of different COVID uh, memories, you were preparing for the end of the world one year ago. Uh, you were going to the grocery store and just stocking up everything you could find because we didn't know what was ahead of us. Uh, you were preparing for that. And I, I, you know, there's, there's some of us that that was like a real wake up call. Like I've got like three days worth of groceries. I'm messed here. And then there's some of you that you're like, ah, this is the moment I've always waited for. You got like a pantry the size of, you know, a, an aisle in Walmart. You're like, bring it on, bring it on. No, I'm not sharing this with anyone. Like this is my hideout. If we're going down, I'm going to last the longest. And I know there's a few of you. I can think of you. I've seen your pantries. They are, uh, I don't know, if there was a zombie apocalypse, you would be the one I'd be running to. But um, today we are talking about preparation. We're talking about preparation. That's what Matthew uh, 25 is going to talk about. It. And, and preparation for what? Preparation for, for what? The question we're going to be looking at is this. What does it take to be prepared for the return of the king? Some of you guys are like, Lord of the Rings. Oh, Return of the King. Are they making it a sequel? Like, are they making a Lord of the, uh, the Return of the King times two? No, 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 no. Uh, fun fact, that came out 17 years ago. Does that not make you feel a little bit old? So basically, everyone in Quest or Drive Youth Program 
Almost everyone has been born since that movie came out. There you go. Just uh, make you feel a little bit old. Um, The return of the king. We're talking about Jesus here. What does it take to be prepared for Jesus' return? So uh, we're going to flip over to uh, Matthew 25. If you got your device, uh, turn there. Not turn there. I don't know what you, what do you even call that? Go there. Scroll there. Do something to get there. Matthew 25, 1 to 13. And we're going to look at it. Uh, but to set the stage, I just want to talk first about Jesus's mission. We've been asking three questions, and we want to ask this question first. What is his mission? And what we've been exploring is the fact that Jesus came to announce and establish his kingdom. And, and when we say kingdom, we mean his rule and his reign, his authority and the way that, uh, that heaven comes to earth. We're talking about that. And in this particular story, um, Jesus is, is getting ready to, uh, to leave earth, to go up to heaven and prepare a place for believers. And, and it's the, the way that he is accomplishing his mission is going to shift. It's going to be less about like the big crowds. And he's going to hone in on his key followers, his key disciples. Because what Jesus does is not just, he do, doesn't just announce the kingdom of God to us and just say like, here's what it is. He invites us to be a part of his kingdom. He invites us to be a part of bringing his kingdom here in Peterborough. Like Al was praying, uh, we want his kingdom to come, but he actually invites us. So um, he talks about that, and, uh, and he's shifting from the large crowds to these, these key disciples. And they're asking him, if you were to flip back to Matthew uh, 24, verse 3, uh, he, he's with kind of his, his core group in their favorite hangout spot. And, uh, and he says, they're asking him this, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They want to know, like, okay, you're leaving us, but like, can you give us some details about what's going on? Like, what do you want from us? Like, when are you coming back? How will we know? They're, they're, they're just curious about that. Jesus, his mission is to bring the kingdom of God, and he invites us into it. So that's what this story is about. And so just basic context, uh, when we read in Matthew 24 and 25, if you were to read those stories, those all were stories that Jesus told on a Tuesday, Okay. I'm really specific. Man, I know, I know my stuff. Hey, I, I don't actually super know that, but when I was studying it, basically if you piece together Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you realize that there's all these overlapping stories in the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion uh, and resurrection that we're going to celebrate in two weeks. And uh, on Tuesday, he's talking with his disciples. So actually three days later on a Friday okay, is when Jesus is crucified. So um, this is like, this is like, okay, guys, here's the game plan. I'm leaving you. You got to know this stuff. So that's, that's why he's talking about um, signs at the end of the age. No one knows the day or the hour. That's what he's going to talk about in 24 and 25. But, uh, but let's go there now to Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. You're like, okay, what? Like, virgins, we got oil, we, there's, there's a bridegroom, but where's the bride? Flasks, like, it's just like, what is going on here? Don't worry, I was in the same boat. I had to go to look to the, the commentators to figure out what it is that they're even saying. And um, I'm going to explain a little bit of the context just so that makes sense for you. There's a whole background of the Jew- Jewish marriage customs that we'll get to. But first, I just want to explain this. This story is about two different groups 
of people. Two different types of people. And there's, there, there's five on one side, five on the other. And really there's two different reactions to Jesus' return. Okay, that's what, that's what gets shown as we'll read on the story and as you heard Jason read. But underneath that, there's actually underlying assumptions about who God is and beliefs about relationship with God that we're going to get to. There's two different beliefs about relationship to God. And everyone falls into one of those two categories. So it's actually a story not just about two different groups and a story back in the day, but it's actually a story that helps us reflect on where we're at, where we're at in relationship with God. And I can't wait, I can't wait to get there. But the key idea is this. Every person one day is going to respond to Jesus' return in one of, one of two responses. And here they are. Oh, no. Like, oh, man. If only I'd known. If only there was more time. Like, ah, can I just quick do this? Or yes, finally, finally. And everyone's going to end up in one of those two camps. Either, either you're going to be you know, surprised or just kind of taken aback or like, oh, God is actually real. Wow, this is legit. Or, I've been waiting for this day. I've been hoping that Jesus would return. I've been, I've been like, I've, I've oriented my entire life around this. I've taken faith that this is true. It's based on evidence. It's real, but it's actually here. Jesus is back. Um, those are the two responses. And I just want to say this. Um, either you have the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, and it's shown through love for God and others, or you don't. Okay, I just want to make that really black and white. There's, there's five on one side, five on the other. There's no like three and then two in the middle and then five more at the end. It, it's just black and white. Um, it's not always obvious to us who fits in which camp, but we'll get to that. Um, but I want to ask you, okay, in, the, in that spirit of self-reflection, if Jesus were to return today, what would your reaction be? What would your reaction be? Would it be, oh, yeah, all right, nice. Pretty excited, I like that. Um, maybe, maybe it'd be like, oh, if only, if only I'd known. If only I was ready. If only I'd known you were real. Maybe it will be excitement. Maybe it'll be scramble central. Uh, it reminds me of, of two different stories from my own life uh, that, I, that I hope we're going to illustrate this, and then we're going to get into the text. Uh, but, you know, when you come to a, a message like this, maybe in the past you've heard different preachers, like, the end, of the, the end of the world is near, like, you know, prepare your hearts, like, get ready. And, and it's just like this, okay, yeah, you're right, like, I should, I should like, get things together, make a list of do's and don'ts. And there's this, this guilt factor, there's this, like, this fear that, that, that's underlying it all. I want to actually cut to the heart of what's actually going on here. Because there's actually a heart thing going on in these ten bridesmaids, as we'll see. But yeah, quick, quick stories for you. Number one, um, about six or seven years ago, I was, uh, I was framing north of Peterborough, and we're sheeting the roof, kind of the middle of nowhere. And, um, you know, let's just say that health and safety protocols were, may or may or not have been in place. Yes, uh, hard hats, work boots, all that was there. Um, tie-off harnesses and all that may or may not have been in place. And um, you might be seeing where this is headed. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're around on the roof, and sure enough, you see this vehicle pulling in the laneway. Guess who it is? Ministry of Labor. I've never seen carpenters move that fast. Like, they were off the roof quick. They were off the roof quick. I heard a few uh, choice words in that moment. 
And uh, it's vivid, vivid in my mind. There's some of us that we think of God's return in, in that way. It's like, ugh, it's like, whoa, I got to get my stuff together. Like, I really hope he doesn't return because if he returns, I'm going to be in trouble. I just know it. And, you know, maybe, maybe I'll be okay. Maybe I'll be able to just, like, quick it off that roof, pretend like I was, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know, laying floor down or something like that, that I wouldn't get caught. Some of us treat our, our relationship with God in that way, like he's just this, this judge over top of us that, you know, we're going to get burned sooner or later. That's just, we just know it. Here's a completely different reaction, okay? Another story from, from my life. The last, uh, last three years, my wife Sonia and I have been preparing to adopt a child. So we've got three kids. We're looking to have a fourth. Uh, some of you guys think we're crazy. Maybe we are. Um, but uh, we've, we've taken the different steps of preparation in order for that to be a reality. So, you know, there's, there's a 10-session training class. There's a, there's a home study that we did through the middle of COVID. There's orientation. We're, you know, we're on the active list of the private agency. We're looking for a child uh, that's, uh, that's two or under, okay? So that, that's the preparation that's been at place. Uh, and we could get a call at any moment. We, we got a call that, you know, hey, we've got, a, we've got a child ready to be placed for adoption. And that next week, who knows? We could have a child in our home. So be praying for us on that. But that's like, okay, that, like preparation is real. We got to be ready. But if you only saw the, uh, the eagerness in our home for this child, uh, we've named this little one um, Little Love. Little Love. I've uh, never, met, never met the child, don't even know it. It might not even end up happening. But we're trusting that, that it will happen. And when I hear my kids, um, you know, they're praying. God, we pray for little love. I just want little love to be in our home. Can little, little love be in our home? What I see is there's just this, like, eagerness. There's this expectancy. There's, there's preparation, but it's out of a heart of just love and passion. Either you're looking at God as, as the MOL going to show up and you're going to be in trouble, or you're waiting in expectancy and joy and finally that day is going to come. Okay, so that's the background. Okay, that's what is going on here. So um, it's not about guilt. It's about the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life shown through love for God and others. Okay, um, Quick, quick more, a little bit more on the context, just to set this up. What is the context? I, I said it's about the Jewish marriage steps. Number one, okay? You need to know this. Jewish marriage, because, uh, you know, marriage around here is a whole different thing than it used to be 2,000 years ago in Israel. So arranged marriage and betrothal. So you got two families that are like, hey, um, I like hanging out with you guys. You got something that would be valuable to us. We can trade. Um, well, let's develop this partnership. I've actually thought, hey, that's not actually an awful way to do uh, to do marriage. Uh, you know, I've, there's a couple of families that I know, like, hey, I could see I could see that working. Um, but uh, you know, they, they would they would set that up when the kids are young, and then there was this something called betrothal, which is a legal arrangement that basically, when that moment happened, they were going to get married. That was going to, and you need a, a certificate of divorce to break that off. But uh, with the betrothal, you know, wasn't quite marriage yet. And uh, just so you know, it's going to set up this story. This period of betrothal lasted about a year. 
give or take. Okay, it lasted about a year, and uh, there was no like, there's no exact date as to when the marriage would happen. There's no, there's no save the dates going out. And so when Jesus says in Matthew 24:36, he says, "But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only." Um, he's actually using this idea of marriage in Jewish color, in culture um, to talk about how the Father, the Father knows Jesus. You know, the omniscient one doesn't even know. It's not because it's not uh, within his power to know. It's because it's a choice that the groom's father makes. Okay? So in Jewish culture, um, when they actually are to get married, the, the day and the hour is decided by the groom's father. And uh, probably because if it was up to the groom, you know, if it's any like uh, me when I was engaged to Sonia, it's like, hey, um, I'll slip over, slap up a couple two-by-fours, get this house ready, and let's get on with this. Like, let's go. Uh, but it's, no, it's the groom's father that gets to decide about the exact timing. And in that, in that year of preparation, the, the bride-to-be, she's getting all of her, her clothes ready, wedding garments, all that, getting it all organized. And the groom, his job is to get the home ready, okay, to get the home ready. Uh, so in John 14, verse 3, you know, when Jesus talks about, you know, I, I go to prepare a place for you. Again, he's, he's using this illustration of, of marriage, of preparation. And the rabbis would say uh, the, the, the home that the groom is making actually has to be better than the bride's current living quarters. So may, maybe he's attaching something to, the, to his parents' house. Anyway, that's happening in the background of all this. And then, um, and then comes the part that, uh, that we're going to be looking at today, the wedding processional. Okay? So this happens uh, whenever the groom's father says, yep, let's go, let's do this. And, um, and it's a surprise. No one knows. It, it, it could be you know, early in the evening. It could be late into the evening, around midnight. You, you didn't know the time. It was always normally in the evening because you, know, you could just picture a Middle Eastern landscape as the, as the stars came out and you had twinkling lights. It's just kind of a romantic feel to it all. Uh, the processional would, 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 they would go through the streets and, uh, and, and it would just be like loud shouting and celebration and, um, and, and, uh, and, and they'd blow this horn. It's called a shafar. I think I'm saying that right. Kind of like, um, you guys remember the uh, World Cup in South Africa with the, the what are they, Vuvuzelas? Like the, uh, the humming sound there, it sounds nothing like that. But anyway, <laughs> just picture a horn. Um, they'd be blowing that, and it was obvious to everyone in the town, like, whoa, party's happening. i got to mark this on my calendar. Um, no, mark it on my calendar. Like, make it happen. Uh, be there, because uh, for the next week, okay, the next week there's going to be a party. So just quick, one more thing from, uh, from Matthew 24. Verse 44, therefore, you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So again, he's just he's like, hey, you don't know exactly when this is going to happen. But then we come to the processional, okay, and the marriage ceremony. And, and we've, got, uh, we've got these 10 versions. Why, why 10? Because in order for a, a marriage ceremony or a synagogue or anything formal like that to take place, you needed 10 people to be present. So that's, that's kind of what I've studied is the deal with that. Virgins because it's a symbol of purity. They're the friends of the bridesmaid. So you got all that, and then they go on, and they have this feast that lasts like a week. It's like this, this big deal, and it's a party, and everyone in the village is basically invited, and it's, it's offensive if you don't show up, uh, and, and you're just there, and you're, um, you're just making the most of that celebration. Okay, let's circle back to the story. Now that you know that, some of the details are going to make more sense. So 
For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. Um, let's just pause there. The, the role of those virgins, the bridesmaids, was to light the way for the groom to make his way to the bride and then for them together to make their way back to the groom's house. That was their job. There's music, there's dancing, all that, but it needs to be lit because uh, it's dark out. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Let's keep going. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. So this is perfectly normal. This is like daily life. They're just going through whatever the routine, because they didn't know. You're not going to stay up till like 3 a.m. every night for like weeks on end. So you have to sleep. Um, But at midnight, there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Let's keep going. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. So basically, okay, their job description, their moment's finally here. Okay, get ready. Let's go. Let's light the lamps and do that. But the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. Um. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty loaded text there. And one of the things that stands out to me is, is there's some assumptions that get made by the foolish bridesmaids. And I, I picked up on two different assumptions that the, the foolish bridesmaids made. One is that they thought one dose of oil would be enough. You know, one and done. That, you know, the party's not going to last that long or, you know, I don't know. We'll, I'm sure it'll be all right. Maybe we'll just... Uh, just be a lamp that just keeps on burning like the burning bush. Um, or number two, if they ran out of oil, they could borrow some from their friends. Right? Those are kind of two basic assumptions. And uh, the five wise bridesmaids, they respond like, I don't think you understand how this works. Uh, maybe we'd like to share, but we just can't actually share. And there's two things that I want to point out here. Okay? Some things need to be refueled. And some things can't be shared. And both of the things are true about a personal relationship with Jesus. It can't, you know, it needs to be refueled and some things can't be shared. So um, they're, they're talking about this oil that they have to refill in their lamps to keep it going for hours of this, of this party. Uh, but, but I want you to know, like, that... That oil in their lamps, or that whether they had it or didn't, was the defining factor of what made them wise or foolish. So, so the question for us is like, what is Jesus actually like alluding to? What is like, do do we need oil hanging out in our house so that we can have extra for like, I don't know, I don't even like, what do you do with oil other than a furnace? Um, no, he's not saying that. But what is he alluding to? He's talking about this is this is what I would define it as: the oil represents the presence of the Holy Spirit shown in a personal love for God and others. Okay, So let's, let's hang on to that for a little bit. Uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit. So God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live inside of us, transforming the way that we think, the way we act, all that. And it's shown in our, our attitude toward God, our relationship with him. But not just it's not just the beliefs with God. It's also about the way that we treat other people. And that's why if you read on in Matthew 25, he talks about the parable of the talents. It's like, hey, what God gives you, you got to use with the people around you. Make something, make something that counts with that. And then the sheep of the goat, it's like, hey, if you really love me, if you follow me, you're going to treat the hungry and the thirsty and the naked and the poor and those in jail with love and compassion. Okay, So it shows itself in uh, personal love for God and the people around you. And um, 
it just it just makes me think that some things need to be refueled. Um, a couple of years ago, I, I went on a 26K trail run, which some of you guys are like, are you kidding me? Why would you put yourself through that? That sounds awful. Yeah, I actually paid money to do that. I know. Wild. It was up in Halliburton, and uh, I was excited about it, and uh, I haven't been able to go back and do that again, but I, if I could, I plan to do it again. But So I'm, I, I actually did you know, pretty decent uh, at around the 13K turnaround. And this is like through Halberton Forest, like up and down, 880 meters of elevation gain. Uh, and at the 13K turnaround, I'm, I'm in third place. Feeling pretty good about myself. Like, let's go. And there's aid stations along the way because there's like 50-mile race and a 100-mile race going on, kind of all at the same time. Intense, right? And um, me, I'm like, hey, I got this. Like, just got to keep, keep the pace. Stay with this. At around like 18K, I'm starting to feel it, starting to feel it. Um, 20k people are starting to pass me i'm like oh i'm in trouble here my body's starting to shut down my body started i'm like i'm parched i can't even like i'm just one foot in front of the other i'm tripping down hills it's getting ugly and you're like yeah exactly that's why you don't run <laughs> um but uh i got to uh what was it the 22k mark and i'm just i'm just dying and there's an aid station i know there's an aid station at 24k and I got to get there. And I basically hobble my way there. And then there's this like gourmet display of food for like the 50 milers and the 100 milers that are like running through the night. Like they got like, they got it all. Oranges, bananas, Gatorade, um, potatoes, uh, granola bars. Me? I dove into every one of those things. I think I tried something from everything. Even I had Coke, get those electrolytes up. I had sour keys. I took it all in. Because I was just falling apart and eventually hobbled my way to the finish line. But I think there's some of us that could use the reminder that we need to refuel along the way. We need a relationship with God that has um, investment along the way. It has, it has things to keep us going. Uh, you know, it, it just reminds me that um, a burning love for God requires regular refueling, okay? Marriages need getaways. Uh, we, need, we need Sabbaths or some type of rest. We need rhythms of refreshment. You know, if, if, you're, if your relationship with God is based on an experience that you had 10 years ago and that's what's pulling you through, maybe, maybe you know, an experience as a kid, a camp, or something uh, from a worship service five years ago, like, that's not enough. That's not enough to get you through. That's like the, the foolish bridesmaid that thought, hey, one flask of oil, that, that'll be it. No, um, we need regular refreshment and, um, and refueling. And the other thing is that some things in life can't be shared. Some things in life can't be shared. The, the bridesmaids, they maybe wanted to, to pass on the, the different stuff that they have, but it's like that's not how it works. And what I want to say to you guys is that's also not how faith works. Okay? A relationship with God is personal. You can't borrow faith. And you can't force faith. So your grandma was an amazing woman of God. She's a prayer warrior. You're like, ah, you know, I could probably sneak into heaven on her coattails. That's not how it works. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, you, you want your kids uh, to follow Jesus. And you're like, hey, I don't know, like, let's, let's, let's do this. And, and you end up like forcing your way on them in the way that you want to do it. You can't force faith. You can't borrow 
someone's faith. You know, attendance at church. Thanks, thanks for the, those of you that are joining us, whether you're here in person or online. Uh, church attendance is not what gets you into the kingdom of God. It's a real relationship with Jesus. Um, you know, this past Friday night, we had youth here, and uh, the teens are sitting around tables, and we're talking about uh, Mike Fisher's story, his, his testimony of, you know, through his teen years, young adulthood, and, and how he realized it was all about a personal relationship with Jesus. And I was blown away uh, sitting with a couple of grade 10 guys that are leading the discussion, which was so cool. And they're talking about how, you know, they, they used to, uh, they used to, uh, you know, show up to, to church and just because, like, that's what, that's what the family did. And, uh, but now they've realized that they actually want it because that's who they are. They want it because they want it for them. It's a choice they're making. It's a personal type thing. Okay, so let's move on. Matthew 25, 10 to 12 says this, And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Uh, Let me just pause there. Uh, Can you picture words that would be more terrifying to hear than that? Than the God of heaven who created everything, who had invited you into relationship and said, like, I'm actually all for you. I, I sent my son Jesus to die for you. I've done everything that it takes for you to be in loving relationship with me. I've created heaven for you so that we've got that for eternity. Everything good. Strip away everything evil. I want that for you. And you say no. And Jesus says, I don't know you. There's, which is another way of saying there's no relationship here. There's no relationship here. Um, oh, that's a scary thought. And the thing that stands out for me, is this idea that good intentions, okay, good intentions are still just really intentions. Put that up on the screen for you. Good intentions are still just intentions. And um, try as you might, uh, that's, that's, uh, that's all it is. So we want to think about, okay, what are the things in our life that we don't just want to leave in the closet of our good intentions. Like, yeah, I'll get to that one day. I'll, you know, like, uh, I just, I'm busy right now. What are the things as a parent that you want to put in place right now and don't wait another day? What are the things uh, in your marriage or in your relationship that it's like, hey, I got to make some headway on that. Like, enough with the talk and let's get some action. Uh, what are, and I'm thinking about uh, things in my own heart and life right now about that. What are the things in friendships and in your work situation that's like, hey, I got to make some movement on that. As we, clo- as we come to, uh, to the close here, um, I want to bring up one more thing. Um, and that's what we've been asking. What is the twist? What is the twist in the story that when Jesus' listeners, the disciples, heard that, they'd be like, whoa, okay, this all is like pretty normal, except this part. And I, I don't know for sure, but I think this is probably the twist. Half of the bridesmaids missed the party. Can you, can you imagine... If you've been planning your wedding, you've had a year to prepare, and, uh, you're, and you're the bride, and, and you know, half of the crew don't even bother to like, bring their dress? Like, what's a bridesmaid without a dress? It's like, thanks, but you know what? If you didn't even like, bother to, to get the dress ready, what are you doing here? But half of the bridesmaids don't even bother to do that. And, and, and it's, what stands out to me is that um, this party 
that all were invited to, half didn't even bother to show up to get ready. You know, um, uh, all, all ten of them, they looked ready, but only five actually were. See, what matters is not that you look the part, is that you, like, actually are a part, okay? We're here in church, and um, it's this beautiful opportunity to connect and gather And I hope that it wouldn't be true of us that five just looked apart and five were actually a part of it. I hope that all ten of us proportionally in this room are sold out, expecting, eager for Jesus' return. But not all of them were. And it's easy, it's easy to look like a Christian. It's easy to, 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 to put on a mask, not just like a COVID mask, but like, like the, the way that, uh, that analogy breaks down pretty quickly. Um, it's easy to put on a face that uh, that you've got it all together, or that you're you know sold out for Jesus, and you're, you're it's it's the behavior um, that you just kind of line up with. It's like the do's and don'ts, and we were talking about that again Friday night. It's just so rich to have teens that just get it. They get it. Um, it's easy to put on a face, but what matters in the end is not what people think of you. It's whether you have, deep down, whether you actually love Jesus, whether you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you that shows itself in love for God and love for others. And it's possible to look the part and miss the party. It's possible to look the part and miss the party. Uh, It's been a bit of a self-reflective message, hasn't it? And I think, you know, in terms of a landing spot, I don't want you to walk away from here and think, man, you're right, Andrew, Uh, I really do need to think about this more. Okay, yeah, I, I should pray more. Or, or yeah, I, I really gotta, I really gotta, um, you know, just just start working harder at this. What I want you to experience is that God, in His mercy, saved you and has the power to save you. Not because of something that you do. It's not something that you earn. It's not salvation. When Jesus goes to the cross, that we're going to remember in two weeks, He does that so that you don't have to earn it because you never could earn it. He does that out of his mercy and grace and love for you. And that's something we can receive. And we can, as we experience that, our lives become transformed. What goes on in the heart eventually shows itself. And eventually what's going on the inside uh, eventually shows itself. Those five uh, foolish uh, bridesmaids, they looked the same as the five wise people. They all looked, all 10 of them looked the same, but eventually time would tell who belonged in which camp. And that's really convicting for me to think about what are the things in my own life that I want to change, that I want to experience a nearness to God. And so Jesus, as he, as he shares this story, this is the, the big idea that, uh, that he's driving towards in all of it. He says this, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Just be ready. Be ready, but not just, not be ready in terms of like, you know, here comes this judge, here comes the MOL. No, no, no. Be eager, be ready, be excited. I've come. And, and Jesus is saying to each of us in the room here, look, I've done everything that you need to experience beauty and life and the fullness of God and richness and the fruit of the Spirit and, and the power to transform the way that you think and act. And it's all there for you. Would you take it? I'm coming back, and it's going to be a surprise. I'm not going to tell you the exact day or hour. If you think you know the exact day or hour, you know more than Jesus. So that's probably sketchy. Um, He's coming and saying, like, uh, you know, we're ready. I want you to be a part of it. Will you be ready? 
And there's an invitation there for every single one of us to turn our hearts to God. And maybe you've already taken that step. You've got, you know, you've, you've decided, I'm going to put you first. Jesus, I'm going all in for you. There's steps that you can take to be ready for his kingdom. Uh, and then some of us, we're still kind of floating around with like, ah, do I actually believe this? Am I really willing to orient my life around this idea? And there's a step and an opportunity ready for you there. Um, I'm going to invite the band to come on up just, just as we pray. But uh, yeah, God offers that opportunity to you. Uh, he wants relationship with you. And eventually, uh, we all of ourselves have to give an account for where we're at. So God, uh, thank you for the story that you gave us. Thank you that um, you are just so, so ready to receive us into your kingdom. And you come as this groom just ready for your bride and ready for every single one of us as individuals that have a personal relationship with you. We want that. We want to experience you. And God, for those of us uh, that don't really know where we stand, if Jesus were to return today, we don't know. We're still kind of sorting through it. Lord, I pray that you'd give clarity for us. You'd help us to understand what is life all about? What matters most? Where am I? God, I pray that um, as you speak to us here at Pathway Church and here in Peterborough, that there would be a transformation of hearts. Would you transform me? Would you transform us to be all in for you, God? We want to be ready for your return. We want to be excited. We want to be eager. Um, We just, we want your kingdom to come right here and right now. So God, we just invite you in. And Lord, um, I pray that we would have wisdom to pursue you and love you with everything that we have, not holding anything back. pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, Lots of exciting news. Uh, This week we are closing on uh, the purchase of a property for our church. So lots of news uh, to come as we prepare for the renovation stage. There's lots of work to be done. If you're interested in connecting with us to help volunteer, you can go to our website, pathwaylife.com. There'll be more information there. Again, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, Please subscribe, follow us, connect with us uh, on YouTube, on our website, and we hope to see you soon. Have a wonderful week.